You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Modern Web Podcast. Today, we have Jason Miller. We're super excited to have you back on the podcast, Jason. So welcome. And I have two amazing co-hosts today. We have Hunter Miller from This Thought. Hi, Hunter. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> and we also have Ben Lesh. Hi, Ben. Hey, how are you? Very good. But oh my gosh, we're so excited to have you, Jason. And you know, maybe you want to start with just like telling us what you've been up to. Sure. Yeah. So um been maybe a year-ish, uh, and I think last time we talked, I was working on modern JS stuff and Preact, and those fundamentals have not really changed. Still working on modern JS stuff, still working on Preact, um, but the projects I've been working on have slightly shifted. Um, so, like in the last year, uh, the Battle team uh, and and to a small extent myself shipped a revision to how preset env works and it makes their modern js output much much better um there's been some work you know pushing that forward even from there which is awesome uh, and i have been exploring kind of next steps what do we do if we can assume quite good output uh, and turns out there is a lot of stuff <laughs> that we could do slash need to do in order to make those things optimal so. Yeah, it's been kind of like a, an interesting year. On the Preact side of things, um, there's <laughs> like, yeah, this year we've been through like three revisions of direction, um, just trying to figure out what's the most valuable place for Preact to push. Um, and, you know, the, the important driver behind those types of things is what is unique about Preact? What is the, the reason why someone would choose it not as an alternative, but like, why is it important to have around? Um, and so we've really, we've been driving towards maybe what might seem like a new direction for, for folks uh, who, you know, historically have seen the marketing say, oh, it's a React alternative. Um, so, you know, that's that's been kind of a change for us, uh, really pushing on uh, things like progressive hydration and tree stitching and these kinds of weird behind the scenes features that Preact has actually had sometimes, you know, in some cases has always had. Um, and now we're at a point where we're a little bit more comfortable saying, let's, let's leverage these. Let's actually put these to good use. So I made a, I made a, a statement, <laughs> a flip statement the other day on Twitter that was essentially uh, frameworks either die young or live long enough to become over-engineered. <laughs> oh, we crossed that threshold. <laughs> do you think? Do you think? Uh, you think Preact's crossed that threat threshold? Or yeah, absolutely. So, I, and I know that it has because we've now thrown out two whole code bases. Um, <laughs> so, like normally, when in a project, over-engineering starts to uh, manifest itself as extra engineering so there's there's more and instead of solutions being directly solve problem they become design a system that indirectly solves problem 
we do a little bit of that in Preact. Uh, we tend to push things like that into compiler land and uh, maybe some of our CLI tooling because the weight of that doesn't matter. Um, but the, the Preact core code base, uh, we're on our third rewrite. I, I don't know whether I'm announcing that or, or not, but um, we're, we're on our third rewrite. And the reason for that is when we re-architect, when we do that, um, you know, that crossing the threshold, we do it as exploratory and then figure out what the wins were and we only move forward with the wins we don't bring architectural baggage which sucks it's we we have we have voluntarily destroyed thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of code um but you know it's a library that can't realistically ship more than about six to eight hundred so that's the situation we're in that's the commitment we made <laughs> That's that's it's been an interesting kind of kind of experience. We're actually, we're we're way further down the line now of um, pushing complexity into related projects. I can I can get into some of those details in a in a hot minute, but um, certainly when it comes to pre-compilation and pushing smarts into things like bundlers, um, that's where the core team's brains have been at for about a year. So kind of like a svelte direction, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's so like we're we're a little bit hampered because JSX is dynamic. That's its value. Um, but even if you look at like so, um, the, the Venn diagram of people who work on Preact and people who work on HTM, which is a, a tag template alternative to JSX, um, it's just a circle. <laughs> <laughs> it's not not a very good Venn diagram. Right. Um, it's actually, it's mostly just a circle drawn around uh, a guy named Joachim, uh, who is an absolute wizard. Uh, and also, by the way, in case he watches this, I change the way I pronounce his name every time I say it. Um, so here's the That's new awesome. one. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so whereas Svelte is very heavily into like build tool consumes thing that isn't JS. Or, or that looks like JS, but like has properties that are different and spits out JS. Um, we're we're doing a bit of that. We're exploring a lot of that. Um, where we have already gained confidence and shipped is in and around um, pre-compilation in the form of identifying the static and dynamic pieces in a given view template, which is sort of a heretical way to describe JSX, but HTM makes that a little bit more clear cut and um, using that as knowledge to bypass runtime performance problems. So in, in Preact, if you are using HTM and you have any piece of a template that happens to be static, we don't diff it, period. Um, if, if you then you know, replace that template with another template and it has the same static regions, we don't dip those either. But if, you know, if it has some dynamic regions that were previously static, we'll pick those up. Um, so we're not quite in that box of like pre-compile is the only way, uh, but we're definitely yeah. like pretty far down that road of like, that's where the optimizations are. So yeah, when it when it comes to these things, I think pre-compilation is probably one of the, and I, I say this just because I worked on the angular compiler a little bit i worked on the the ivy engine at one time you'll like this at one time and this got massively shot down on that team i proposed that i was like 
Well, you know, I realize it would have a lot of breaking changes, but have you ever considered just having this instead of compile to Ivy, like compile to Preact? And I wasn't, I wasn't joking either. I was like, we could do that. And like, why? Because then all of a sudden, all of your Angular components would work and basically almost any Re React component would work and Preact yeah. components would work. And, you know, the, it'd be like the one framework to roll them all. But like there were... Um, <laughs> there were problems with the life cycle differences really and like i i don't know i i'm yeah. I'm, I'm very pro progress so in my brain it was like who cares <laughs> Change them, right that's probably that's probably was why i'm not in charge of anything but um but yeah could have been was, angular x right 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 or just name it something else preangular triangular yeah there were theories when I joined Google that, that that would be a thing that would manifest itself. Actually, like, we don't hate that idea. Uh, there's a bunch of folks on the core team who have been thinking, like, yeah, obviously, we, sh we ship Preact as a library that does a thing that developers use. You use it directly in, in a lot of cases. Um, but we're also, we kind of like the idea that we've assembled a group of people who genuinely care about virtual DOM performance and low-level uh, semantics. And I do wonder if, um, you know, now that we're a number of years into virtual DOM being something that's not standardized, but like accepted, um, if maybe it's the time to provide, I don't know whether it's like a, an alternative compiled output to Preact is something we've explored or a lighter core or something that it's just an engine. And the expectation is that you would build frameworks on top of it. It's not. It wouldn't be like, could we platform on top of this other framework? It would more be, could we just use the same core? Yeah, um, yeah. That's super interesting. You're actually working I, on something related to that right now. <laughs> the the funny thing is, if any anything you ever built like that would end up looking a lot like functional components with hooks. Like, there's no way around it. They'd be really, like, uh, Ivy, Ivy output is actually just really ugly functional components with hooks. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, because it's not made to be pretty, it's not made to be consumed by an end user, so it's made to be efficient. Right. But like, if you if you boil it right down uh, and you rename them all, like use this, use this, use this, then people would be like, oh, this is just hooks all over the place. Yeah, I mean, so, hooks is just scheduler driven functional UI. It's yeah, <laughs> it's it's right. a lot more primitive than it than it looks like on paper, right? Right. Yeah. So I want to go back and like, what originally inspired you to make Preact? Uh, I was for about eight years working on a very, very large platform. I believe at the time it was more than two and a half megabytes of gzipped minified JavaScript, um, wow. where the, the goal and place we got to was to re-implement as much of an operating system as you possibly could in a browser tab. Um, which, you know, that was where it started. Uh, the, the end result of that was I had this giant platform that could do everything, right? It had everything from 3D rendering to scope styles long before those ever existed in the browser uh, and web components, interestingly. But uh, I had, you know, at, at my disposal and also, at, you know, with the ability to tweak this platform that I could use to build anything. Um, and I didn't have to do a lot of thinking in advance. And for a number of reasons, I ended up having to shift away from working on and working in that platform. And 
kind of entered like an existential point in my life where it was like, oh, wow, I've, I've up until this point for most of my professional career been the platform author in addition to, to like the consumer of the platform. But like, that's just been, I, I've taken for granted the fact that I could just change how the job works if I don't like mm, it. That's interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. So like <laughs> it, it got kind of awkward when I set that aside because you know, I actually, I quite liked the DOM. I had spent the two years leading up to that point, uh, changing this framework that I had created, the platform that I created to, uh, to align it with the web DOM, like the actual HTML DOM and CSS and all these things, uh, and custom elements at the time. Um, and so my inclination when I, when I stopped working with that was, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll use custom elements. This was at the time of V0, but uh, it was still of interest to me. And I just couldn't get my head around making the developer experience on top of custom elements and um, Shadow DOM or the, the small bits of Shadow DOM that were around at the time. I couldn't make that work for myself. Um, and so I, I quickly bounced through a couple of iterations of like, well, what's Backbone doing? And, and I made a version of that to understand it because I have this terrible habit of rebuilding things in order to understand how they work. Um, and I bounced around enough that I eventually landed on uh, a couple of game engine design principles. This is before I'd even heard of React hilariously. Uh, I'm very, I'm like the last person to find out about stuff. Um, I think this is like 2014, I want to say. I might have that year wrong. Um, and so I started building like a game engine in DOM just as, because I knew that that would make a good stress test for a rapidly updating state-driven UI framework. And I knew I wanted something like that. Um, and eventually yeah. I ended up with sort of what became a first version of, of Preact. And at some point somebody had showed me React and I, I sort of looked over at, I, I actually still, I've maybe used it twice in my life, but at the time I, I'd never used it, but I had seen this React app and I looked at how some of the code worked and I thought that is disturbingly similar to, to what I've created in this code pen. Um, I wonder why the thing that I have in the code pen is only, I think at the time, like 250 lines of code. Maybe there's something to having a minimal version of this. Oh, nice. So I hadn't yeah. yet settled on like, you know, it's a small React. That actually took me quite a while to to come around to because there's there's some weirdness there. Um, but I, you know, that's kind of how I fell into it. I, I realized that I liked the, uh, you know, having a little bit of state associated with a subtree and being able to trigger a render bit. And I liked the idea of being able to return a new copy of what looks like the DOM and just have it morph behind the scenes. Uh, and eventually, as I realized the similarities were there, I figured, you know, my, if my API is going to look 99% like React, why not have it be compatible? Yeah. So you should you should actually on your README as like the subtitle put not a fork of React. Like I think that yeah. people really think because right. I, I even I even because I, I I had been told once upon a time like React or Preact existed before React and was renamed yada yada. I had heard that and I was like I don't know if that's right. And then I have other people that have come to me and be like No, no, it's a fork, man. It's a fork. I heard that. I Dude. used React for the first time over a year after Preact gained critical mass. <laughs> so, all right, so here's, okay, here's something that's, it's related to something you were talking about earlier in this, where you're talking about web components um, or custom elements. 
And I have found that one of the weird rough edges with all, uh, with all, at least almost all frameworks is how they work with form elements and inputs. And that's like the one place that I can think of where like web components actually, you know, beat the crap out of like Preact, React, Angular, all this stuff, because you can, you can actually declare that your component has this like native behavior that otherwise doesn't work. So you can get your little, uh, you know, the CSS like colon, uh, what is it? Colon invalid and all this other stuff to work with, with your component. Um, like, have you, like what, what sort of stuff is pre, does Preact do around that? Are you trying to integrate web components in any way to get that sort of thing to work or? I think like, I mean, this is, this is more my personal viewpoint, but I actually think that form participation is an area where custom elements because they have the edge, because they have the platform integration are probably the better option. Um, and so, you know, obviously Preact could take a stance of like, oh, well, we're going to provide a way to do forms that, you know, we obviously have to rebuild everything from scratch ourselves, but it will be somehow better. Um, but that's, that's a very additive style solution, which really goes against what we tend to strive for. Yeah. Um, so instead, you know, Preact is, much more aligned with an approach like building, you know, composing your application from an architectural standpoint using Preact components. But when you actually implement your custom date input or whatever, you would you would build that as a custom element. Um, there's there's a couple of rough edges there. Um, the ones that I'm aware of are almost entirely TypeScript related, which is kind of a painful. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, yeah. And, uh, well, and part of it is like um, JSX in TypeScript is still uh, unfortunately a little bit React specific. And so the stuff that Preact has to do to make that work is, I don't know, we, we've had to change it now either once or twice. And uh, I was under the impression that the previous incarnation of what we were doing for JSX was slightly easier to use with custom elements. That may just be because that's the the last time I really went deep on this, hmm. um, which at, at the time um, we were building Squoosh um, and Squoosh is kind of a 50-50 mix of custom elements and Preact components. Um, and so this was with the earlier version that to me, like that seemed ideal, especially like when you're, when you're building a, form element and you're having it participate in the DOM's form elements scheme, having any level of abstraction there is kind of a, just going to throw a wrench in the works. Uh, so it, it feels really intuitive just to write that as a custom element. Um, and you know, the icing on the cake is when you can just import it and use it like an HTML element and there's nothing to define or interfaces to like make work there it's it's just like any other html element there's no difference to preact yeah, so yeah. that's sort of the, the stance that, that we push uh, and then the other piece of that is obviously preact size lends itself reasonably well to being a way to build custom elements um and so in that vein if you were building a form element obviously you'd want it to be a reasonably complex form element if you're building with a framework um your outward facing interface could still leverage things like the, you know, the invalidity, form validity stuff and form participation. Um, and you would just be using Preact as a renderer at that point. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I, uh, I spent some time. It was maybe almost a year ago now. I had to write a custom, uh, like a combo box, like it's the the thing that doesn't exist in the web that should yeah. have always existed on the web. So of right. course, you know, yet again, here I am in front of my computer needing to write a combo box that uh, needs a virtualized list because there was too many <laughs> options, and you know, I get this whole thing done, and it's for a React app. So I wrote the whole thing in React and. Then I get around to styling it and I realized like, oh, I can't use any of the native styling stuff with this anymore because, and I, you know, I wasn't going to go back and rewrite the whole thing again as a web component because, yeah. you know, the, the ship had sailed. But so I had to like add this other custom styling and it, uh, so yeah, like, I went through all this effort too to make it like accessible and all this other stuff. And then, you know, the styling doesn't work because not native, womp womp. I kind of wonder whether there's a, a middle ground there. And I know like uh, Vue and Svelte have pretty good compilation pipelines for emitting web components. We've got one that we're working on that's, it is not yet a compilation pipeline. It's more, um, it is more a, a wrapper, like a, a shim or a facade. Um, but I, I do wonder if there's a, an interesting space here for like a multi-select dropdown or like type ahead dropdown that you could use as a React or Preact component directly, or that is also provided as that same React or Preact component that happens to render into Shadow DOM and participate in the form APIs. And then you could just use it as a custom element. So like whether or not you were using a framework to compose your app, you would have the option of saying, oh, you know, if I'm already using a React form management library, then maybe I won't use the custom element. But if I am using native forms and like form data and stuff, I would probably opt for the custom element, even if it's got its own copy of the renderer. But I asked, yeah. there's probably a, a case in which that's still beneficial. Right, right, right. Uh, so I have a this is a this is a Googler specific question. So <laughs> is is because I used to work at Google, but but um, the uh, Preact is is it in Google three now? Are there people using uh, Preact inside of Google? Uh, that is the majority of tabs I have open on my desktop right now. Sweet, uh, so, right? Salient point. Yeah, uh, it's in Google three. Uh, I don't think I'm giving you much information. The the version that's in Google three is not up to date. Um, and whose, whose responsibility is that to get the to get the sync <laughs> in? Of oh. uh, no, baby. <laughs> and, and so part of like i i'm a devrel and we don't spend a ton of time in um in google's like actual like sure. deep yeah. dived projects um but one of my <laughs> goals is to kind of break down some just of just wait till you sync that you'll you'll spend a lot of time in deep down projects. oh i'm be great positive yeah you get <laughs> all be, in the module set serving and box it'll be super fun a pro life pro tip for you is Find some internal uh, help, like in like a make a make a mailing list internally, and reach out and be like, "Who wants to help me sync this?" And mm. because it is not a job for one person, if it gets used a lot at that big big company. I was just gonna abuse the other people who previously managed this because it, it was in there before I joined, and somebody yeah. had pinged me like, "Hey, can you review this?" Like, I'd never used this tool before to review this code yeah, that yeah. I've never seen before, but like otherwise it looks good. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Did um, did joining Google change like your perspective on on like kind of I don't know? You write a lot of frameworks, and <laughs> I'm just uh, curious. 
Oh, it gets weirder. He's on the, you're on the Chrome team, right? Yeah. So the Chrome team is full of personalities that are notoriously anti-framework. Like, no, I wouldn't say they're, well. That's yeah, kind of what I'm getting at, I guess. Some of them are. <laughs> some of them are. But yeah. uh, it's, it's a mix. I, I think Preact has always <laughs> at least been fairly well received by Chrome and web platform folks at Google. Because um, it's, it's so small. <laughs> They're like, well, oh, we can like, just not worry about it. To, to steal my own words from, from the doc, I'm totally not writing. Um, it, it is inherently well aligned with Chrome's goals. Um, it, you know, it is pragmatic, it is small, it, you know, it takes as much as effort as possible to optimize loading performance, um, but doesn't necessarily sacrifice runtime performance to get there. Um, so like, that's- Has being on the Chrome team actually like helped steer the direction of Preact? Uh, yeah, for sure. So we, we um, like Preact has a core team I, I hate putting a number to it, but I think it's around 10 people. Uh, and there are a few Googlers on that team. Um, I think I'm, I, this is org boundaries, so I actually have no idea on paper, but I think I might be the only like Chrome uh, person on the core team, but there, there's definitely multiple Googlers. Um, and so there's, there's decent representation of um, like the way that, Preact is used at Google in that core team, not to the point where the project is overly influenced by it. I consider myself at least somewhat partial because I've been working on Preact for five years and I've been working at Google for two. Um, so like, obviously, you know, I, I, I'm sitting on the fence there, but um, I, I have value and investment in both sides. Um, we have folks from AMP though that are, that are working on Preact because AMP uses Preact uh, and, and that is only increasing um, and a few other folks. Um, so there's there's definitely like ideas that Google has around where front end might go. And, um, you know, some of the more like the higher level directional thoughts, like even the, the thing we mentioned about like, could Preact be a better low level renderer? Um, a lot of times those right. things actually do come in from the folks who are at Google kind of with their ear to the wall thinking that sounds like this kind of a problem. Um, although generally like what we find is like if, if any one person on the team, regardless of the company they, they work for, brings something into our meetings, it's very likely that somebody else is also thinking about that thing. Uh, we just end up getting nice context. Like we have some people from Microsoft and Formidable. Um, we end up getting useful directional insight from those folks that ends up because like we're not a project that's like really trying to you know go off in some completely unheard of like you know we're going to rebuild the browser in the browser type direction right it's, it's more like what can we do to you know make you know this certain percentage of applications on the internet some percentage faster overall and and as it turns out that's the goal that a whole lot of these companies already have so i feel like that aligns like i don't know i'm just just from reading like your tweets and like some of your libraries and i want to i want to ask you like how do you write so many libraries and what drives you to make them so small um hmm. so at least a, a decent chunk of the libraries that I have right now that are somewhat popular 
uh, were written during the two months of fun employment I had prior to joining Google. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I very much capitalized on that period. That was the one time I actually um, I, I was funded by Preact's Open Collective, um, and it, it was it was fun two months. I spent I, every day I would go to Starbucks for eight hours, and sh my my goal was every day solve a need, scratch mm. an itch. Um, eventually I ran out of itches to scratch. So I had right. to start building apps again to get more itches. Um, and that's actually, the, that's, that's the challenge that I've had over the last two years is I'm a, I'm a DevRel at Google. My primary role is actually not to develop software products. Um, and you know, that's quite different from prior jobs where I would be working on something and I'd be like, wow, like the state of command line tooling is just trash. I need to do something about this <laughs> yeah. at Google. You know, I, I might have that thought like, Oh, like I'm not happy with the status quo for X, Y, and Z, but it's not necessarily that I am, um, you know, running off against those issues myself. So I actually have to end up putting myself in situations where I will intentionally encounter like roadblocks or, you know, crappy outcomes and kind of derive stuff from those. It's funny, your your twenty percent project would be what most people's like regular project would be, right? Also, it's so I, yeah, I, I hit that. So whenever I was working on the Angular team, um like I didn't wasn't really using RxJS for anything for that entire period. Uh, and like I would work on it a little bit, but I didn't really get a lot of time to work on it. I was just doing all Angular stuff. And then when I got back and I'm using RxJS in React, there <laughs> It, there was a couple of times where I was using something and I was like, what is this garbage? Like, why is this? <laughs> Who wrote this? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> like, why is this so inconsistent in these like two spots? Like, you know, and then worse than that, like I'm literally going and looking at the code that I wrote to remember what certain bits of it even did. Oh, 100%. And yeah, and it's just so bad. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. They've, they, they need to come up with, I honestly think that folks on like the Angular team, the React team, all these teams, like, need to get rotated back out into the world like for just like a year at a time and then come back because during that time i bet they would be like three months in they'd be like oh my god i have to change all of these things because like it's yeah. the worst and then so, um yeah. we do that a little bit that's actually to be honest it's one of the the benefits that i get you know aside from getting to work with an awesome group of people who maintain preact one of the fringe benefits i get is as i am out of necessity going and re-familiarizing myself with the real world, um, I end up building demos or, um, you know, trying to build whole applications essentially that I don't ever have an, any intention of publishing as a thing that other people would use. And it, like, I use that just as a way to run into those warts. Um, yeah. And I find as long as I do that regularly enough and I find an idea that, that isn't just really easy for me to do. Um, you know, it's usually enough. And so, you know, that helps me like stay in that space, even if during the day I might not be, you know, my top priority might not be do this thing in Preact. Right now, like a lot of my work at Google is focused around modern JS. And, you know, obviously Preact is related to that. Um, we, we don't ship a modern build, you know, who. Uh, and we also provide command line tooling that, that does modern, non-modern fallback kind of stuff. Um, so there's, there's certainly overlap there, but 
in order to make sure that, you know, I can in my evenings go and spend a couple of hours working on our new renderer, I kind of have to have been in that brain space already. So like I, I for some reason right now am building what I feel is maybe a little bit nicer UI for Google tasks. Um, and I'm doing that using our as of yet unannounced build tool with an as of yet unannounced version of Preact <laughs> using an as of yet unannounced version of async SSR hydration. Um, and it, it's lovely. And so it's kind of like, it's that thing that's like, I think about that when I'm falling asleep because I'm thinking like, okay, what, what do we have to do to make it so that that experience, maybe not where I started, but where I am now, is something that everyone else can get. Jason, what's the, um, you know, when you Google modern JS, yeah. everything comes up, right? So like, what's the GitHub repo oh, slash website for modern one. JS? Uh, I have a Chrome Dev Summit talk this year. So I, I'm, I'll put my bias right up front. Uh, Hussein and I have, uh, we, we had a goal of talking about modern JS for the last time. Because <laughs> him and I have both been pushing on various projects for this for like years, two, two, two and a half years. Um, and so we are, we are doing a CDS talk this year. It's short, I think it's 14 minutes, 10 if you ask the people who are preparing the video, but probably 14. Uh, and that is going to go out on, I believe, December 9th, along with an accompanying blog post. Um, and really the, the goal there is like the one place that you would need to go to figure out what do you need to do as a developer? Uh, what might you need to do as a module author and publisher? How do you unblock all of this for yourself? Uh, and also, uh, I want to get into specifics and sort of, you know, eat my own lunch there, but like, uh, it will give you a way to measure how, how much impact all that work could have. The, the module mm -hmm. author thing, I can tell everybody firsthand is extraordinarily <laughs> difficult. Like the, the people are like, oh, writing apps is hard, but like you'll get the CLI tool a lot of times. It'll set up your whole project for you. And like when you're doing a TypeScript, you can just be like any whatever and just to make it work. <laughs> but when you've got a when you've got like a library and people are consuming your TypeScript types, you're screwed on that front. And then like you've got to output these module formats for yeah. like three different types at least <laughs> right. yeah at least yeah. the three minimum maybe up to five and all of the typescript sources because people want those for their source maps and then there's all these electron users that are like what the hell you just gave me five megs of stuff for this utility library or yep. whatever and um it's it's such a train wreck it's such a train so like the the and i think that i had approached addy about this once before i was like if you did anything that i would really appreciate it would be like okay so here's the exact set of things that you need as a module author. Yep. Anything beyond that, those people are crazy. It's their fault. <laughs> and then you can just kind of narrow it down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, you can narrow it my down. Talk. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's because that stuff just, it kills me. It kills me all the time. Like I'll get in and be like, okay, can we finally get rid of this in the RX build? No, we can't because X, Y, Z. And you're like, okay. And then yeah. like a year or two. Two is using it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And here we are, like, I'm six years into this, and I still have stuff that, like, I wanted to get rid of three years ago. And, like, there's no end in sight to any of it. Um, so, oh, I, I, want to say, I want to say one more thing. I'm sorry. I just didn't want to interrupt you before. 
I'm I'm sorry, I mischaracterized the folks that on the Chrome team. They don't hate frameworks. Just this is for the record <laughs> for everybody. Like the, I've the met time Alan. delay between when you said that and, and not correcting. No, they've already. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's uh, for for the record. I have personally met Alex Russell. He's a very very nice guy. <laughs> um, he he does not hate frameworks. He hates very slow apps that everyone needs to use. Uh, that's that's what he doesn't like. And the problem is, I think people fall into a pit of failure sometimes with how they set up their their frameworks. I mean, I'm I'm utterly positive that someone could easily build a Preact app even and do it oh, yeah. incorrectly because they were just they weren't you know it takes a lot of rigor to to not do it wrong. So or to do it, it takes a lot of rigor to do it properly. I think is probably the better way to put it, right. but. Yeah. But yeah, it's like they don't, one of the don't one of the things we fall into with frameworks is as frameworks solve for more and more of the types of issues you might encounter as a developer, it slightly reduces the uh, the cases where you need to be preventative in your architecture, and so you know we can end up in these situations. I've definitely ended up in situations myself where. I realized down the line that I've accidentally delegated all of my architecture decisions to a framework that doesn't know who I am. Um, I mean, even the framework I wrote doesn't know that, you know, two years later, I was going to try and build a tasks app, right? It's just not generalizable right, yeah. in that way. And uh, that can be a sticky situation, right? Like we see this with state. We, there's always this back and forth pull, like, well, I use Redux and people said that Redux was going to be the thing that fixes state management. And as it turns out, you know, it might fix a bunch of things to do with state management, but you might be in a specific set of users that have some other need. So there's, there's always going to be sort of that give and take. Which is why everybody decides that they need to write a new framework. Um, <laughs> their, their problem and their use case. <laughs> well, this was so much, have, this, yeah. I have one quick question before. Of Go ahead. Jason, you, you tweeted something in August saying next week I'm going to release something big <laughs> and that has haunted me for like months and I want to know what it was. Uh, or can you not talk about it? No, so I, I can. Uh, I can't give the name because that'll be too obvious. Mm -hmm. It okay. is a, I'll call it a build tool um, in maybe a similar-ish vein to uh, Vite and Snowpack and, and some of these newer tools. Okay. Um, it is, it's Preact's design philosophy applied to your development and production workflows. Um, I think it's fantastic. It's finished. Uh, we are trying to figure out when the most appropriate time to release that would be. There is talk of it being next week. Um, I know I said that in oh, August. The, yeah, it's been it rewritten awesome. since then. So this is super exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, the, the thing about these build tools that kills me is like, the, there's so many, there's like all these really cool advancements in build tools. And nowadays it seems like, uh, people's projects are lasting longer and longer. And what happens is like, I mean, you're shipping stuff and shipping stuff and shipping stuff. And you've got this webpack thing that's slow as all get out. And you see like other build tools and you're like, wow. This could really help me. It's just too bad that I'm really never going to switch over to it. Because that is the problem that we are solving. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> so uh, like, oh, that's I, good. I believe right now uh, you can import a create React app code base without modifications into this tool, even though it does not use Webpack or React. Or I don't think there's even a single shared piece of software between the two. Um, 
So it's pretty also good. it's crazy. If you have a, a code base currently bundled with rollup, um, that will just work. It's not using rollup, but it'll just work. Wow. That's kind of amazing because like <laughs> I feel like it just wasn't so long ago where everybody was like, Oh my god, Webpack is the best thing everywhere. Every every you know, let's all migrate over to Webpack. And then now everybody's like, Oh my god, Webpack is so slow. Here is the you know, million other set of tools, and then it's like bund but you know, bundle tool wars. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I I was never happy with Webpack. <laughs> I, I don't I even mind fine. Webpack. There's there's yeah, some things fine. Webpack does very well. Um yeah. What I want to see, and, and this is part of what we're pushing with this new tool when it gets released, is I would like to see a world where your code base isn't particularly bundler specific, or in an ideal world, it is not bundler specific. So we would have standardized import prefixes and in, in the near future, import assertions, or sorry, um, I, I got the name wrong and the people from TC39 will, will tweet me about it later, but the, the other one that tells you how to run transformations I think we can get to a point where you you write your code, and if you switch bundlers down the line or between development and production, it's it's a non-event. Yeah, there's a there's a lot there's companies now like Netflix has actually been doing this for years. There's companies that will do things like um, bundle things on the fly, like on the server, which is interesting. So like the idea behind this would be like, oh, so you are a, you're on part of this A/B test, and you're part of this A/B test, and we don't want to send you JavaScript you're not going to use and send this other person JavaScript they're not going to use. So we need to like dynamically decide who gets what bundle. Um, yeah, there's there's like the, the world of bundlers. Like I've heard people say, well, you know, Webpack has solved this problem. Like why are there so many new build tools and oh, bundlers coming so out? so much more to do. It's like, <laughs> I just think there's like, a, it's just like a small tip of the iceberg because then there's like weird environments where like, Maybe sometimes it's shipping individual files is faster and other times like, no, you got to send the whole thing. And like, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. There's so much left to solve there. Yeah. <laughs> <It's a mess. laughs> yep. and, it, and, and it's all awful. That's the other yep. side. Yep. <laughs> Go check out ES build though. Well, we're super excited. Hopefully it launches soon. Um, but, you know, thank you so much for joining us and we always love chatting. So, we miss you. We miss seeing conferences and yeah. all the other places. But, um, you know, and thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Modern Web Podcast. If you want to follow Jason on Twitter, Jason, what's your uh, Twitter handle? At underscore develop it. Remember the underscore. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Yes, and you can follow Hunter on Twitter at hmillerdev. Is that right, Hunter? Uh huh. Yeah. And then Ben at Ben Lesh and myself at Lady Leap. And we'll see you next time on the Modern One Podcast. podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs.